Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of The Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio masterclass, uh, the general game theory of DFS, whether it be NFL, PGA, NBA, MLB, it doesn't matter. Whatever sport that you play, the DFS concepts still apply. So go to theoryofdfs.com to pick that up. And join with me, as always, as usual, not always, uh, is uh, is Eric Beimfor, who uh, we'll be doing a short show today because it's 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 COVID season in NFL, which means there are games on midweek and showdowns, two game slates. And Eric, you're you're always uh, uh, doing the showdown content over at Roto Grinders, so so it, it's been kind of you don't get a day off anymore it seems like <laughs> I, you, you never know when the days off are coming because nfl is rescheduling when we, we we moved games to wednesday last week we're moving games we've moved games to tuesday in the past we're moving games to tuesday this week i'm just waiting for the friday game friday is the only day we haven't had a game which is also like my heaviest my like busiest day both like from work and you know i'm trying to like rebuild my own you know work on my own teams and stuff kind of starting on friday so i'm just waiting for the the next outbreak to push a game somehow magically to uh, to a Friday. So yeah, um, I guess it's good for m- most people. I'm not really excited about Ravens Cowboys, but I guess there's football on, and and most people like that. So well, well, starting on Friday, we got NBA preseason. Oh yeah, DFS. I'm excited. Oh, oh, oh so excited. you're going to be playing NBA preseason. Oh yeah, I love all the preseasons. Summer league, I play summer league. You know, RIP summer league, but. Uh, all those, those I, I love all those kind of random. I also am just like a huge basketball fan. I think, like I grew up more like football, and and like got. I think like probably like most people got into DFS with football, um, with NFL specifically. But just like I, I don't know if it's I'm getting older and I'm preferring basketball, or like the DFS part of 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 basketball is is more fun to me. I've just like fallen in love with with basketball and NBA and everything. So I'm. I'm super excited for for NBA to come back, so I'll be grinding the preseason streets too. Well, the preseason is like, I mean, that's it's silly season as far as shit show. Oh yeah. Oh, so so it. you prefer shit show DFS? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, like not the same comparison, but like this past Sunday for NFL was like kind of a shit show slate, not in terms of like news and stuff, but like it's gross. Like, right? People are like debating, you know, David Montgomery and Devontae Booker and like Brandon Cooks and like these kind of like what would normally be gross, gross plays or like people have, you know, no news on preseason or like college basketball. I like to play college basketball too. Cause it's that way. You know, I, I love to embrace like that unknown. And like, you know, we've talked about it. Like being uncomfortable is like where I try to like pride myself. Like, dude, I played, I played Derek Carr. Like, I don't think I've ever played Derek Carr in DFS in my life. And I played Derek Carr on Sunday. Cause people are like, no, no way I'm playing, I'm, I'm playing Derek Carr. It's like all that, like just uncomfortable, like feelings around different DFS sports. That's my favorite. So, but in preseason for NBA, I mean the, the, the edge you have to, you have to think that the more uncertainty there is, the bigger the edge is in, in information. Like it used to be mm-hmm. in DFS back in the, the old days, 10 years ago, that, Having the information in and of itself was the edge. Was uh, who's out, who's in the rotations in basketball games, and and you know even just a bare basic projection model, like you could crush just by that. And even now in in two, in twenty twenty, 
where there's obviously a lot more available information. Uh, you, you can easily get access to uh, a reasonably good projection model. But with the uncertainty comes like finding out, like scroll, like the, the typical player for preseason. We see it with NFL, right? Uh, I think it's not just information. It's how the nuance of the game, like DFS-wise, changes when there is less certainty on playing time. So, for instance, in NFL preseason, which I've played before, uh, I mean, I don't particularly enjoy playing it, uh, but a lot of times, like, if if I played preseason NFL uh, the year that the World Cup happened, Mm. so, like, I didn't play MLB that entire year. Because the World mm-hmm. Cup it was is two months long and it's every day and soccer's my main sport so I'm like I don't if I'm gonna take off two months of MLB I might as well just not even play MLB because I'm not yep. having no idea what's gonna go on so like once that was over then we had that August and I'm like okay well I can play NFL preseason because I'm not playing MLB the the biggest difference uh, between like the edge there is understanding how the DFS strategy changes when the starters are not going to see a full complement of snaps. So for instance, in NFL, like if you're playing cash games in NFL preseason, the common build was to take like multiple quarterbacks and kickers and defenses because like there's going to be no wide receiver that gets the 100 yard bonus. There's going to be no running back that gets the 100 yard bonus. Like the starters, uh, if they're even going to play, are going to play like the first half and that's it. Then yep. the second team is going to play the third quarter, and then the third team is going to play the fourth quarter. So you had tons of people rostering full price starting wide receivers that, you know, if they get four catches, like that's that's a good half. So like that changes the whole aspect of how you play DFS. In NBA preseason, I'm going to assume, because I have I haven't played it, that it's mm-hmm. it's it's much similar to that where First off, finding the information of, like, whether or not the star player is actually going to play in this game. I mean, sometimes, like, they literally don't play at all. And then figuring out that if they do play, like, are they only going to play 20 minutes, right? Is the the backup point guard going to actually see 32 minutes in this game? And then the third point guard sees the other time. So the pricing on the sites are typically built around as if, you know that the, the players are going to get their normal kind of workload. So do you, do you find that it's not just figuring out who's going to play and what the mm-hmm. rotation is going to be in basketball? It's more the fact of how does that relate to the pricing and the construction in your lineup that you could take advantage of the field who may be rostering a player that's overpriced that maybe that maybe efficiently priced for 34 minutes of play and we know in NBA minutes equals money that they're going to that they're going to roster them for 34 minutes of play and you're going to you're going to embrace the uncertainty and go well maybe he just plays 24 minutes this game and like like he's going to get a snowflake in 24 minutes unless he's like <laughs> absurdly efficient are those the types of things that that you look into for 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 preseason especially yeah, I think preseason, um, you you pretty much hit on it. The reason why I like things like preseason, things like college basketball, things that, that the more two things, 
the more uncertainty that you bring about, the more um, ability you have to capitalize on your opponent's mistakes. Likewise, the more decision points there are in a game, you know, in, in a, the DFS game, not like in an actual basketball game, the more decision points there are, you know, on a slate, the same thing, the more potential edges you can, you can extract from, from a slate. So, you know, you're ta- you're adding in this element of uncertainty where literally no one knows, you know, like, yes, there's, you know, you're, we're all reading the same stuff. Uh, the people that are, that are grinding it, you know, there's, there's tons of dead money. You know, you talk about in the large field tournaments, there's, you know, like say for NFL, there's no more dead money than in like the Millie Maker, right? On an NFL Sunday. The percentage of dead money in like the large field tournaments on a preseason slate is like absurd. I mean, truly absurd. There's so many like, like there's dead lineups in NFL, but they're at least like rostering players that are playing, like <laughs> that are like accumulating points. There's people, you know, playing like completely dead lineups that are going to score like, 40 fantasy points so like there's tons of dead money there's there's so much uncertainty which is kind of like where i think tournament players should thrive like there's no uncertainty around uh a 4k running back you know or a min price point guard stepping into 35 minutes right like there's no one like i you know a little uncertainty very 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 little there's there's uncertainty on every single player on any sort of like preseason slate and then there's that added decision point, right, of, okay, I, you have the information. So we're figuring – we just have to figure out who's a good play, which is harder on those slates than it is, like, for NFL. Like, any casual – you know, you talk about it a lot. Just pull up projections. You can figure out a, a cash game team. You can figure out who the best plays are. You know, don't ask me a 1v1. So just look at the projection. That's the best play. It's easy. Projections are nowhere near as good for these kind of sports. So we're all kind of figuring that out and figuring out the volatility of the projections – together and then so you have the projections and then you start applying these like dfs concepts right you know like stacking is a little bit different in um in preseason but you know there's correlation there's still added correlation benefits of of things even like even like preseason and then there's the, the game theory aspect like most people never get that deep they're just at the information level even like you know good good players because they don't need they don't need to they just there are their 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 ev is so high just by the information edge over the casuals that they can just crush by you know playing the best plays. But if you, you add in a couple extra decision points, you know you, you don't have to do that much um, to to extract a ton of edge in tournaments, even against some of the the better players because they're just smashing all these best plays and making making you know huge ROI just because like the the level of quality from the field is is really bad. But we also get major major chalk based on just you know there's a couple of plays that will pop or a handful of plays that will pop based on we don't get that much news so the little bit of news you do get you know so and so backup point guard uh you know a Kyrie is only going to play the first quarter you know so Spencer Dinwiddie it's like oh you know 85 percent owned or whatever is Spencer Dinwiddie because it's like okay well Kyrie's not going to play you know but it and maybe that maybe you do have to play him, but then there's just more decision points around that. It's like, well, what about the third string point guard? You know, what about this? What about that? There, there's so many more decision points that I think um, those kinds of slates across all sports. I like it because it's inherently there in in something like preseason and summer league and that kind of stuff. College basketball is very much that way. There's so much uncertainty, but um, other sports slates that are like that with more decision points and more difficult. Uh, more uncertainty, I just think is 
uh, a lot more fun. I enjoy that a lot more. Right. We, we typically consider NBA DFS to be the, the least amount of volatility only because of its iterative scoring. Right. There's no there's no lucky event. Right. A guy can't come in for four minutes and score 50 points like someone in <laughs> NFL in one snap could 12 points in one snap. In baseball, one home run, 14 points. The volatility in preseason is more due to the minutes. It's more due to, like, in the regular season, like, the least, like, even outside of the regular season, playoff basketball is probably the lowest variance DFS there is because they, like, it's a playoff game. Like, yeah, it, if it's a close game, Giannis is pl- is going to play as many <laughs> minutes as possible. Kawhi is going to play as many minutes as possible. You know, you're going to see Harden play 44 minutes in this game. Like, they're, these these rotations aren't going to be 12 man rotations. They're going to be, you know, unless one team's getting blown out or something. Like, they're going to be playing the max, and that's the main reason in the regular season why players get rested. Well, they that, while there is load management because they know that. Once the playoffs come around, like you're going to be out there as long as physically possible, <laughs> and because of that, and the and we have these nine man rotations, uh, playoff basketball for DFS is like it's almost I don't want to call it a solved game, but the amount of shots like uh, risks that you take, especially on these smaller slates, we have three game basketball playoff slate, like it's very hard to be different because it's mm-hmm. like had like. If you're not going to play this player that's going to play the whole game, you're going to play another player that's going to play the whole game. I mean, like, like <laughs> right. it, there, there aren't, like you said, there aren't as many decision points because the options are limited. We, we don't get 11-game playoff basketball slates, or at least there are mm-hmm. multiple options like that. But in the regular season, you could, there's still volatility, but it's a matter of, like, okay, does the, the, the sixth man off the bench, someone like Will Barton, someone like, you know, like those types of guys where their minutes volatility could be, well, they could play 24 minutes, they could play 32 minutes. Like mm-hmm. in, that, in basketball, eight-minute difference like that is is big, especially for players that are in the 5 to 6K range, where if they get max minutes, like they're, they're going to be on a GPP winning lineup, and if they don't, they're going to be a snowflake. But yep. in the preseason, that that kind of minutes volatility extends to li- literally all the players. Like we're, we're, we're not see it's not the type of thing where, uh, where we know that, uh, that uh, Bradley Beal is going to play 36 minutes median wise. So all these projections are all minutes wise based on a median. So you go 36 minutes for Beal, but that could end up being 34. It could end up being 38. And if he gets into foul trouble, it could end up being 30. <clears throat> Right, if it goes into overtime or it's a really close game, maybe it ends up being forty. But we don't get ones where, yeah, his median is thirty-four, but his low range is eighteen. <laughs> like you, you, in preseason, you're not going to get the upper range. That's why these medians on the minutes are going to have to come down. But mm-hmm. the volatility, the standard deviation of those minutes in preseason are just like up in the air. Just like like it 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 could they, this could be the game where this the the star player on the team they said okay. We're gonna we're gonna let you play this entire preseason game and play a normal load, and then the next game not play at all. But you're yep. not. But without looking at like coach speak or or you know beat writers, and half the time they're wrong. Like you may not even know that until like after lock until you wonder why uh, 
you know, so-and-so played, you know, the entire first quarter and then literally never got back in the game. Like, literally didn't come in for the the, 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 set, the second quarter rotation and then never played the second half. And you're sitting there, you know, <laughs> 12 minutes, you paid 8500 for this guy, <laughs> yeah. right? He's sitting there with 16 points and he's, and he, and he's 40% owned, right? Because, like, no one mm-hmm. would have known. Like, there was no information that, like, at wor- that you thought at worst— He's going to play 28 to 30 minutes and it's like, nope, 12 minutes, but you don't see that in a regular season, right? Like you're not, you're never going to see that situation unless obviously a guy gets ejected or whatever that, that a, st- that a starting star player is going to come in and out of the blue. I mean, you get that from the rotational guys, like those, the, the surprise DNPs, right? When you're playing like, okay, I'm going to play the back, the backup center, right? I'm going to go for the, maybe they're going to, you know, the nuggets, they're going to play big this game. And it turns out they play small and Millsap's sitting there with 16 minutes instead of 28. Like those things happen, but typically they're on a player by player basis. We, in NBA, if you follow it, uh, you, you can, you kind of know who those, who those players are, those high standard deviation players. That's why they become quote GPP plays. But in, but in preseason, you have to go in with the notion, with the, uh, uh, to me, it's a mental thing. Like I'm, am I going to play preseason NBA? Most probably not. But it's is it due because like, well, I don't think I have an edge. I just think the amount of time and mental anguish I have to put in to to it's a short sample. It's only going to be like ten days, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, am I going to am I going to sit down and and grind? Because like I'm going to have to find. I, I can't just show up in half an hour before the slate and start making lineups. Like I'm, I'm gonna have no idea what the hell's going on. So I now I need to mentally commit to okay. I'm I'm gonna try to I'm gonna find my edge and and, and hopefully realize it in ten days. And no, knowing that an hour after lock, I may be throwing shit at my TV. Right? If I'm, I'm probably not even watching, so it does it. It's not gonna be the. I mean, right. I'm watching something else. I rarely watch NBA basketball. Uh, I'll watch the play by play, the little you know, like this guy scored, that yeah. guy scored type yeah. of stuff. <laughs> Or on the app or something, but I'm rarely watching. Maybe a West Coast game, it's like the last game, and I'll throw it on and fall asleep to it or something. But I have to go in, especially in preseason, and know that, like, I have to mentally, like, I'm not going to tilt. I usually don't tilt at all. But go in going, okay, I'm going to make my decisions, find my leverage, get my correlation, which there isn't that much in in NBA, uh, and know that it's quite possible I'm rostering a guy that's going to get eight points. Like I, like I'm like, I have, I have to commit mentally, psychologically that this could be a slate that I put in 500 bucks and get zero back very easily. And if you're willing to, to do that, I think you could be successful at it. But I think so many people go in and go, I don't, they, they come at it. They look at it. Like, how could I possibly play NBA preseason? It's just, it's, it's a luck fest, you know, tilt, tilt session and they don't play it, but as long as you understand that that's what you're getting into, you could commit yourself and and find an edge. And it's just a matter of can you can you realize that in like ten or eleven days? Yeah, I think that's that's exactly what I was going to kind of like add is what you said. You, you have you have to be willing to, to to go in knowing that like it not only not only is it possible, it's 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 quite likely you're going to lose and like you're just going to get you know you're going to totally brick. You just have to embrace that, but that's like, 
part it, it you know all these things are the concepts that i just like the, all my kind of favorite and the things i believe in the most in terms of of being successful at at dfs like all manifest within this this preseason thing first of all like i said i, I don't think it's for everybody like it's for it's for me because i enjoy it but like i totally like 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 you said I don't think most people would enjoy it. So I'm not recommending it to most people because, you know, there is definitely like the stress, stress and anguish and and time and all of that, that is just not for everybody to commit. But I think it pulls together all of these different things. Like I am willing on every DFS sport that I play, every slate that I play, I am willing to go into it. And I believe you have to be, to be long-term successful. I'm willing to go into it. Like, yep. Uh, totally fine with losing today. Like, it's probably going to happen. Like, not only am I like, like embracing it, like I probably know that it's most likely going to happen. And I don't think, and so I, I think people have started to come around to that a little bit, like in terms of fading chalk in the NFL and all that kind of stuff, but people don't embrace it in things where like, they don't even feel comfortable guys are going to play. Like that's a very, very different level of uncertainty and, and risk. Right. Like, I mean, I mean, we see, we see not human. Right. Right. We see in the NFL, for instance, like, like all the time, like, okay, I'm going to take a shot on Frank Gore up second play of the game done. Right. (laughs) Antonio Gibson on the, on the short slate yesterday, like Mm -hmm. he's 50% owned, you know, first series of the game, turf toe gone, done. Like the, we see that every week in NFL. So I think people still tilt those types of injuries, but it, to, to them, it's like expect like there's going to be a couple of players on this slate that get injured. Hopefully, it's not mine. Like like they're going in thinking that already, but it's almost in in the back of their head. It's like, well, it can't happen to me, right? It's either one or the other. Typically, you deal with people like this. I'm in the RG Discord. Typically, it's 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 one of the other type of people. It's uh, it can't happen to me type of people, right? They ro- I'm going to roster this guy, this guy, this guy's like, well, you know, he's coming off an injury. I'm going to take Julio Jones. Screw it, he's you know, low owned, I'm going to play him. And then, then he gets injured. And then it's like, like, well, how could that happen to me? Like had, you, you had to have known like that, that, that had a propensity coming with a Q tag or something like that. But then you also have, I think the predominant amount of people that are, that almost manifest those things to happen to themselves. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, okay, I'm rostering these guys. I know I'm I like before the slate starts, it's like, okay, what two players of mine are getting injured this slate? And it just, it tends to, it, it, I don't know if it's a karma thing, it's a cosmic <laughs> thing, but there are, cer- there are certain people that like, it, it's the type of thing where uh, I, I will jokingly ask those people, like, oh, who, who are you playing? Who are you playing them on? <laughs> right? Who are you playing them on? Oh, I'm playing this guy. Shit, I have a lot of that guy. <laughs> right? You follow certain people on Twitter that are always tilting over like, okay, I'm all in on these three guys. And you're like, I have two of them. And this guy seemingly <laughs> always loses. So like, maybe, maybe I got to bump down my, like, maybe I got to take him out of some lineups. Uh, but, but to me, like the, the reason why you can have an edge in the game is because of the uncertainty. We, I, I, I had a question on Twitter. Uh, someone asked me because I'm on the DK committee. Uh, like, can you tell them to get rid of the, the the DSD position in in NFL, right? Because it's 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 essentially a luck fest, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, well, it it makes it not a skill game uh, if you have DSD because the very uh, Patriots defense thirty points, like you're dead, right? Like that type of thing. Uh, but 
I, I, I said back to him, I said, no, it's there for a reason. It's there to reduce the skill gap. If this game was too skillful, bad players wouldn't play anymore. They'd lose too often that, you know, people, you lose enough as it is in DFS, you know, playing well that, like, imagine if we, we added, if we added MPE to NFL and Superflex and no DST, like, basically, like, you're going to, the best players are going to get even more of the money. And the ecosystem dies. So, like, the purpose for the DSD position is almost like a random die roll, right? It's almost like, okay, roster eight players, and then you have this randomizing factor in your DSD slot that some some weeks it doesn't matter. Some weeks no defense really scores that much. And then some weeks it's like if you didn't have one of these two defense, Falcons last week, nope, you can't, really can't win a GPP <laughs> without him type of thing. But you need to have bad players that play long-term bad get lucky enough every once in a while, just like in poker, you know, a bad player could call you with a three outer and hit, right. They'll hit you know, 15% of the time, you know, mm-hmm. but without those 15% of the time, the game would end up being like chess. And I tweeted about like, I watched the Queens gambit and I'm like, what? The reason I never cared about getting into chess while I got into poker, I played some backgammon. I played gin rummy. I played any, anything involving probabilities mm-hmm. where there's some random event that you could gauge like an expected value on decisions. Like, and I could do that better than others. And, and, and there's money in that because, you know, in gin rummy, someone could, someone could get gin on the, on a, the first, on the draw, right? Like, <laughs> like I can't stop that. Right and backgammon. If someone rolls double sixes against me every every roll, like they're gonna win. Like there's no, there's no way for me to prevent that. Uh, in in poker, they could, you can hit a three outer. I mean that that happens. In chess, it's a game of complete information. There's no there's no variance in it. Right, the skillful player will win nearly all the time. Like so often that who's gonna bet money on it? Like who? Like am I gonna be able to find a, an underground game of bad chess players? that are willing to play a thousand dollars a game and play me more than 10 times with me winning 10 times in a row. Like you're not going to like the money dries up. There's no money. Yeah. There's, there may be some money in the high. If you are one of the top 20 players in the world, maybe. And even then, like, how do you find games? So I, I view the DST position, the variance that's in DFS is there for a reason. It's, 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 it's a way to reduce the skill gap so that, so we have Joe Schmo putting in a $20 lineup on the couch, thinking that he could win because he can. We mm-hmm. see lineups that win the Millie Maker that go, I don't know how that was put together, but we have hundreds of thousands of people that are doing that. So one of those people are going to get lucky. And then once someone sees, like in a commercial, oh, so-and-so Joe Schmo on his couch won a million dollars, like, well, I know football, I could do that. Like if, 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 if the game was too skillful, like you never have those commercials, right? It would always be, you know, some, some, some nerd, right? Some nerdy, uh, some, some, uh, some, the uh, guy that, that doesn't appeal to Joe Schmo, right? You have Alex Baker out there, right? <laughs> right. I'm nothing against him. I think, I think I, I, he's funny on Twitter, but yeah. you know, not he necessarily embra- the, he, em- he embraces it. I don't, right, right. Of course. But I mean, not the, not the. You know that David Mock is is a quiet most most of the best DFS players are quiet nerdy guys, right? Mm-hmm. 
I'm a nerdy guy. I just happen to be just abrasive and just yell a lot. Uh, but but it, 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 it doesn't get people into the ecosystem. So like the whole fact of embracing uncertainty is, is good for both good players and bad players. Because bad players could get... When, when there's more uncertainty, bad players have more of a shot of getting lucky because like you could... You could randomly put in in preseason NBA. You could randomly put in guys, and you know it. It could be oh, uh, you put in the you know the 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 shoot the third shooting guard on the team, and it just so happened in that game in preseason they said okay, let's give him a shot for thirty six minutes, and he's sitting there at thirty two hundred, and he puts up forty five points. He's two percent owned, and he's owned by only the people that are just like well, I I I need a thirty two hundred dollar guy. I plugged him in, and you see them in a GPP winning lineup and go. What did that guy know? It's like he didn't know anything. It just, it, 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 it just, you just mash buttons and he got there. So I think it's, it's important. Like, I, I think the concept of uncertainty is important because most DFS players look for certainty. You have to admit, right? Most people look, they'll look at a slate, they're trying to predict outcomes. Where can I find the most certainty? Oh, I, I have the most certainty with Dalvin Cook. Like I, 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 yeah, but you're paying 9,500 for the certainty. Like you're paying for the certainty. You look at a, a slate and you go, uh, Brandon cooks. It's like, okay, well, I, he's going to have to get the tar. Like I'm, I, I'm certain of that thing, whether or not it turns out to end up being a ceiling score. Well, you don't know what the efficiency is going to be, but you're certain that if I play Brandon cooks, that I'm, that I'm not going to feel stupid. Right. Cause I'm going to see so many other people play him. He's, he has the highest probability based on any projection model you saw of having a ceiling score for a wide receiver. So you feel like when, when Brandon Cooks puts up 11 and a half points that you got unlucky, right? Because I embraced, they embraced the certainty and didn't get rewarded for it. And they're like, well, I went to Dalvin Cook. Well, I embraced the certainty. You, you eventually got there. You, I don't think you needed the 26.9 points. Uh, you embraced the, the certainty of Devontae Adams. Well, he got there. Right. Yeah. Right. So you people people look most of the time to embrace certainty. But I think that's a losing mentality because the more certainty that you embrace, the less leverage you have, the less the, the, the less the less win equity your lineup has, because the, the, the certain the certainty is is much easier to to, to see from from the field. The uncertainty is the stuff that people don't go to. Right, the uncertainty of, uh, you know, playing Andy Isabella, who, you know, put up two point seven points. Right, the uh, <laughs> the uncertainty. Like Henry I embraced Ruggs. uncertainty. Henry Ruggs is my favorite example. Henry Henry Ruggs from this was a, a good, you know, that was a total probably fluke um, uh, of what happened on on Sunday with the with the Jets. Oh my God, giving up a the long touchdown to Henry Ruggs on the last play, the, the last play of the game. But he is a very, very, very uncertain player who could get a zero. Um, he's kind of a deep shot, you know, rookie who doesn't get a lot of work. So no one, no one plays him, despite the fact that he has a, a ton, of, a ton of upside. And and like, like, look, no one predicted that that to happen. But it's irrelevant. There's you're you're you win, in my opinion, long term by capitalizing on. You're, you know, be, we talk about the Drew, Drew's thing, but winning when the unexpected events happen. When the expected things happen, everybody wins. 
right? Everybody that played, when David Montgomery scores two touchdowns and Devontae Adams scores two touchdowns and Dalvin Cook scores two touchdowns and Brandon Cook scores two touchdowns, guess what? <laughs> Some Probably the, the best players in the world are winning because they got more of all those guys than you do. And everybody has good teams and who gives a shit? When those guys don't have that ceiling outcome and the random, the, the, the Henry Ruggs, the, the Andy Isabella, the whatever, insert, insert kind of volatile, unexpected, murky play. When those, when those hit and outscore the expected guys, that's when you win because no one else has those. No one else played those guys because of that uncertainty. Right. Like I, I, I went into this past slate. With people making fun of me for playing a lot of Kyler Murray. They go, well, how do you play Kyler? Last two games, his shoulder injury, right? (laughs) They're not rushing the ball. I'm like, who said, are you certain of that? Like, how certain are you? Are you, you're being overconfident. Mm -hmm. We've seen even this year, in the beginning of the year, Kyler Murray's putting up nearly 40 point games, rushing the ball in or whatever. Maybe. Maybe he had a shoulder injury the past two weeks. Maybe maybe he's healthy now, right? Maybe, I'm going to embrace that uncertainty. You're not willing to do so. I'm willing to do so. And if if I, if it turns out that he's perfectly fine and they're going to rush the ball a ton, I'm gonna he's going to be low owned. I'm going to pair him up with a Hopkins and Isabella, or Kirk or something. Run that back with a with a cup or a Woods instead of playing the golf stack, and and uh, I'm going to print money. Now, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't mean that I was. I'm willing to take the shot at the lower ownership. If Kyler Murray, if the whole, if the whole field thought, "Oh, Kyler Murray's healthy now, and now he's going to be 15 percent owned," then I, then I'd be like, "Well, now you're you're too certain of that." So, like all the things that I'm looking at are where's the field too certain of, and how can I embrace more uncertainty, even if the prevailing notion is the same thing with wide receiver cornerback matchups. Aren't you afraid of X Scott? Like what? Uh, that's are you certain of that? How certain are you? You can't be a hundred percent certain of that. Oh, this guy's gonna shadow this guy. That that is even half the time that doesn't even happen, right? Right. You take you take a look on, on on so many of these slates where people have have this is certainly gonna happen. To me, that's predicting outcomes, and it's like you don't win at DFS by predicting outcomes. You win at DFS by creating good lineups that capitalize on unexpected outcomes yep. more so than. Figuring out whether or not, I mean, if Anthony Ferkser is going to be 50% owned and we have a million other pun tight ends, like, why don't you just play another guy? Or why don't you just pay up a tight end? And you play Darren Waller. Well, Darren Waller, this whole year is not put up or whatever. Like, they're playing the goddamn Jets, for crying out loud. Maybe this is the week that he puts up a big score. Are you willing to em- embrace the uncertainty of Darren Waller's ceiling? Well, if you if you did, you got rewarded. And if you were too scared to do so, well, you'd have had no chance of winning. So, like, I take a look at Austin Eckler this past week. I had very little of Austin Eckler. I didn't play him in cash games because people took a one-game sample size of him with no Kalen Balaj in the backfield and then playing down, him getting 14 targets and going, well, that's Austin Eckler. I go, are you sure? Like how certain are like how like I, I I'm listening to shows and people are and, and hearing people going like they're certain of this. Like, yes, you're right. He does have PPR upside. I mean, he does get t- I, I just I, I get that, right? But we haven't seen it how much is Balaj gonna play? Austin Eckler is not historically 
a guy that plays more than 60% of the snaps to begin with, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. they have other running backs. Yes, he'll catch some balls out of the backfield, but he's 7K, and he's going to be high-owned. So, like... Like everyone's everyone's acting like this is a certain situation, and I think it's much less certain than the field. So I just went with the uncertain. I'm just like, well, why, why, why am I why am I playing that? Well, I'm playing more Miles Gaskin, right? Yeah. Now in the high stakes, Miles Gaskin was played a lot more. In the low stakes, he wasn't. I mean, the difference between like the game changer and the play action is like three times because he's coming back from injury. But you take a look at that situation in the backfield that there's literally no other running back other than Patrick Laird. And I go, I'm just going to embrace the that, that he practiced the past two weeks. I'm assuming that just he's going to play 90% of the snaps. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just going to. And if people are like, are you sure of that? It doesn't matter. I want you to be unsure. Because the more yeah. unsure you are, the less owned he's going to be. And, of course, Gaskin gets six carries inside the five-yard line and can't fucking put it in. Right? Don't remind me. He yeah. should have thirty Jesus. points, but yeah. uh, but whatever. That was that was brutal. Yeah, but 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 these are the concepts of like we see guys coming back from injury and go, well, I can't play. I, I, I pro- they want to people wanted to prove it weak. Like to me, I hate that. Like no, no, I want to be on the week where everyone thinks that they have to prove yeah. it because I'm getting them cheaper and a lower owned. Once they prove it, all the value in that play goes out the window. It's very simple. It's very similar to sports betting with what when lines move, right? Oh, I want to see what other people are betting on before I bet. Like, no, all the value's gone, right? You want to, you want to, if you're going to bet on a game or something, you want to bet on Tuesday for a Sunday game before the line moves. But it's like, well, I'm not sure. If, like, well, this guy could be injured and that guy could be out and whatever. Like, no, no, no. You, if you're right and you bet on Tuesday, your closing line value is going to be immense. If you are right, you're going to get a, you're going to get a line that's two or three points. That no one else is getting. Of course, you probably can't put a ton of money on that early in the week, but whatever. Well, I mean, that's the whole different uh, argument. Well, yeah. But getting er- being early on on a player, being early on a team, being early on a situation, like it, you'll get it. You'll get it right less often. But when you get it right, you'll make more money. So waiting for the certainty, like the, it, it's not it's not profitable. At best, it's break even. So I, 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 I always, you know, when I, I, I always say like, why, why, why are you so certain? And are there situations where it's uncertain that it, that it shouldn't be right. That you look at and yep. like when, when Julio Jones is 4% owned on a slate at 6,600, I go, <laughs> why not take a shot? Well, his hamstring and the saints defense and whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah. That's what most of the field is. They think that. That that they think that. Why don't you embrace? Doesn't mean you play Julio Jones in all your lineups, but why don't in the lineups that it makes sense in? If you're playing Taysom Hill and Michael Thomas, play Julio Jones in that lineup, mm-hmm. and and then not worrying about what the results are. Worry about like uh, that's why I constantly come back to I view I judge myself based on the ownership, not based on the results. I go I look and I see Julio Jones is four percent owned. I go I made the right decision. Doesn't matter how many points he puts up. At that point, it's like, I'm embracing the uncertainty. And if he gets there, he gets there. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. I know I'm going to be wrong 90% of the time, right? Like, it's not about being right more often. It's about making the most money. So you make the most money by embracing the uncertain situations more than trying to find the certainty. Oh, I'm certain 
I'm certain Devontae Booker is going to get a ton of the work against a horrible Jets team and the Raiders like to run the ball. Well, they decided to pass the ball a ton. So you were obviously overconfident in that situation. Uh, you know, Kiki QT, I, I heard so many people, uh, Kiki QT's role isn't going to change. He's going to be in the slot, right? Like people are overreacting to this 3,500 for, you know, the, and the Texans team total is low or whatever. I mean, he was owned. I mean, I'm not saying he yeah. wasn't owned, but there were tons, there were tons of narrative on, is this bad chalk, right? It was the, up in the air. He, he was one that was, he came, he ended up coming in pretty owned, but he was one I wasn't sure. You know, I knew Cooks, like we, we knew Cooks was going to be, re- was going to be really owned. I wasn't sure what the field was going to do with, with Kuti because of exactly what you said. There was a lot of uncertainty around him and people were, pe- people were really unsure of how, of how to handle him, I think. <clears throat> right, but if you embrace that uncertainty, you got rewarded. Oh yeah, right. And 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 if you if you embrace the uncertainty, of course, Cooks had a con- got a concussion protocol and was out for a quarter. But whatever. So, I mean, we we take we take a look at like Thielen coming back for the Vikings. Like, are you willing to embrace? The, I played a lot of Thielen as as leverage off a of Cook, mm-hmm. and it turns out it's 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 so weird the dynamics between the contest you play and the contest I play. The game changer. I just want to point this out because I, I thought it was the biggest discrepancy I've seen mm-hmm. uh, between contests. If we look at the Vikings uh, in the game changer and even the spy Thielen, let me, let me scroll all the way down. Like Justin Jefferson was 7% owned in the game changer. He was 18% in the play action. Like Thielen was more owned in high stakes and Jefferson was not while in the lower stakes, it was the opposite of way around. You would think with the, the past results that Jefferson would get more ownership and Thielen coming back, but obviously sharper players think that they're reacting to that of like, Oh, people are going to go recency bias on Justin Jefferson and they're not going to play Thielen, even though Thielen gets more red zone targets and that's good leverage off a of cook. And like, so in the higher stakes, everyone did that. And Justin Jefferson sitting there at 7% owned when if you knew, if you knew beforehand that Thielen was going to be 16% owned and Jefferson was going to be 7% owned, you play fucking Jefferson every single goddamn time, right? <laughs> right. But if you right. played the lower stakes, you wouldn't, you did the opposite type of thing. So those are uncertain. See, you could see, I mean, you could even see in the high, in the higher stakes, Andy Isabella, those Kyler Murray, Isabella teams, Single entry high stakes that they were owned. Kyler Murray was like the fourth highest owned quarterback in higher stakes, but garbage owned in 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 the lower field, the lower stakes large field. Is a, like I in the game changer. Andy Isabella thirteen percent owned. Play action two percent. Like the dis, the disparity between that is is kind of ridiculous. Not not in a good or bad way. Just in a in a you have to really consider what contest you play. And yeah. how this is comes down to how observant your opponents are. So like in poker, I always say that uh, the number one thing I need to estimate when I'm at it, when I'm sitting at a table is how observant are my opponents, which opponents are more observant than others. The guy that's not observant, like he's not going to take into account that I just bluff this guy or I just three bet over here and, and fold like they're. What I, that I show down aces, like they're not paying attention enough. So it's, I'm not, I can't third level think them because they're not even thinking about what I've done. But right. against players that are 
observant, then I, I go, okay, now I have to decide to determine my action, what I'm going to do right now, how much, how much I'm going to bet. And now I'm considering what they've, what my opponent have seen me done in the past. Do I take the same line and represent a different hand? Do I take the same, dude, does he think I'm going to do that? So now I'm going <laughs> to, pl- now I'm going to play it in a different way. Well, n- I, now I need to judge how observant my opponent is. The same thing applies to DFS of, well, I'm playing in a contest with 90% like smart people and they're more likely, they're, they're more likely looking at projections. So they're more likely to see, you know, QT as a value. They're more likely to see that uh, David Montgomery is, you know, more likely to play this type of lineup. So now I could take advantage of like, okay, they're observant. They're observant of like Justin Jefferson being, you know, now that Thielen's back, Jefferson maybe is a little overpriced at 7,300. Now the, yep. the the lower stakes players aren't going to be that observant. They're just going to look at game logs and go, Justin Jefferson, let me play him, <laughs> right? So at the higher stakes, maybe you embrace the the fact that, well, Jefferson could, could still get there. I mean, he's still a great receiver. He's still great leverage on Cook. So do that instead. But that's that's still all a basis of how observant in, in head-to-heads. Do I switch off of this guy? Do I try to, you know, do I block here? Right, you're looking at a head-to-head, you're down by 20 points. You're like, do I leave Devontae Adams there? Do I switch to DK Metcalf? Do I do something like that? Well, all of that, you have to consider your opponent. If it's some random dude that I've never seen before, I'm most likely going to assume that they don't light swap, right? That they're not observant yep. enough to try to like galaxy brain swap so they block me type of thing. But against a, someone that is a regular in the lobby, we have one slot left and, you know, he knows that I have Adams in that slot and, you know, he can't block me there, but he could play, he could move his quarterback to like Aaron Rodgers and like at least mitigate some of those points or something like, like not many people do that to begin with, even on, even right. good players. But I'm more likely to consider that third level if I know that my player is more, my opponent is more observant. So that, I mean, how much uncertainty you embrace is also dependent on the contest that you play. Yep. I think... The, the biggest thing, so this is the first time I pulled up Results DB and kind of looked. Um, it, I mean, this is I'm pretty I'm pretty stunned at not just the differences, but just some of the some of the uh, ownerships that guys came in came in period. But I think this past Sunday slate and and this is kind of how I felt about it. This is the the main thing that I wrote about in my you know like kind of tournament breakdown, if you will, article that I write every week on Rotor Grinders was this exact conversation that we're having right now. I said, this is a, this was a week when you just take a step back, right. And think about the guys who are going to be popular and how everyone was approaching this slate. It was the exact conversation we are having in terms of everyone felt certain about David Montgomery's volume for his price. Everyone felt certain about Brandon cook's volume for his price. Everyone felt certain about Dalvin cook. They felt certain about whatever X, Y, Z. Now John who's out and they felt certain about Ferkser. You know, Eckler came back and got 14 targets. They felt certain about Eckler, right? If J- Josh Jacobs is out, you feel certain about Devontae, Devontae Booker against a horrible Jets team, right? Everyone feels certain about all these guys. And this is not – like none of these none of these guys, I guess, da- like, you know, the, the Dalvins and Devontae's, you, you can feel pretty certain about them in general, just like from a total raw floor perspective, not from a, you know, tournament perspective. But like 
everyone felt so certain about these guys. And I thought, you know, not to get specific, you know, too, too specific. And, not, and I'm not trying to shit on people that, that had, you know, certain opinions about things. But what you outlined with Ferkser and Eckler, I thought were two of the most egregious things that people were so certain about, um, maybe of this entire, this entire season. And I love Austin Eckler. I played Austin Eckler last week, not, you know, not week 13 and week 12. I played Austin Eckler because of what you said. I wanted to capitalize on him at 6,000 when everybody was like, uh, you know, we got reports. He's not going to get all the new, you know, he's not going to get all the work. I, I don't know. Well, that's when I want to pounce. Now everybody comes back. He gets a big price hike. Kalen Balaj is back. I guess everybody just assumed Balaj was, you know, and I don't know if Balaj was going to play or not, but everybody assumed he wouldn't. And, and it, it's the Patriots. Like I get the Patriots haven't been like that great, but that game was horrifically gross and slow. And the Patriots are just going to run. And like, you know, when we don't know what is going to happen with Balaj, we don't know, like, you know, what we saw last week, even if Balaj was out again, if that's what they want to do with Eckler, they still have Josh Kelly. Like there was so much uncertainty and everyone felt so certain about Austin Eckler at this, at this price. I was just floored. And then you have Ferkser. Who's like the for, Ferkser, for instance, Ferkser, if it wasn't for the fact of their last drive, Ferkser would have been like, dude, he wasn't playing two tight end play. sets in the first half. Correct. He wasn't playing. He wasn't even playing. And that was what I like. And again, I'm like, I'm not trying to like victory lap this thing because it just so happened. Like he, he could have played every snap for all I know. And I, and I would have had egg on my face. Right. But that's what I came in and I said, how can you possibly be so sure that Anthony Ferkser is about, first of all, Johnny Smith is basically, I love Johnny Smith. He's a good football player. He's a blocking tight end. They don't even throw him the ball. So like you're, repl- you're taking out a guy who doesn't get the ball and you're putting in a guy <laughs> like what, what volume is he soaking up? None. There is none to be to be soaked up. And Anthony Ferkster is very clearly, as we've seen all year, like a receiving tight end. And he's fine. He's fine in that role. But like now they have they, they brought back Michael Pruitt and they had Jeff Swain, which are just big, bruising, blocking tight ends. Right. So who do you think fills in for the blocking tight end? Not the receiver, the, the blockers. So I was like. I'm not saying Ferkser isn't going to play more, but it doesn't make a lot of logical sense that Ferkser is all of a sudden this smashed $2,500 play. Like everybody, everybody, remember what was, what was, what's the kid from the Saints? Uh, Troutman. Everybody just shit on Troutman, right? Every, like, and it's all ha ha ha. He got zero. You guys are all fish. You read into all this. You thought he was going to play, but everybody is just now still after that. Oh, you know, Ferkser. Yep. He was just a lock. What do you, what do you mean? He, like I, 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 it was the same thing. It was this. It, what was the difference between Troutman and Ferkser? They're both they're both bad. I think you know. Like it, we can argue all the different semantics, but it, like there was so much uncertainty around Ferkser, and he was fifty percent owned in the game changer, fifty percent. Like, and people are just like, oh, yep, you know, whatever. And you got people got lucky to get any points out of him. If they didn't lose by forty. He might he might have got a zero. So like these, I thought this week was a really good, not like lesson, but like like just there was so many plays that were so uncertain. So I thought even more so than like than like a normal slate going into it and embracing the fact that these plays were extremely uncertain and playing those kind of wide range of outcomes guys. Which Darren Darren Waller, I liked your example on Darren Waller. He's not necessarily a wide range of outcomes guys guy but he hits this ceiling like we just saw what like once or twice a year he just has the random game where Derek Carr throws to him 20 times like it just happens but like everybody was so certain 
that the Raiders were just going to run and the Jets suck, so they won't be able to keep up, you know? So like, oh, they're just going to run. And there's this $2,500 tight end who, you know, is a lock. So I can't play Darren Waller. Darren Waller was 5%. Five <laughs> against the Jets. With a, you know, like there was just so much about this slate I thought was was crazy. Not even from a, not from like the results, um, just from like how the the public approached it, and it all revolved around that certainty. I think, and um, so you know, it just so happens to be a week that I actually, for the first time that we've been recording this podcast, had a good had a good week. And uh, shout out to Miles Gaskin for not getting in the end zone. It could have been a really nice week uh, if he did, but. I just thought it was such a the perfect like tournament week if you embraced kind of this uncertainty. And I, I thought, you know, it ended up working out in the results. Like if you embraced that Titans game being like more pass heavy, everybody was just like, oh, my God, Henry and, and Chubb, they're just going to run the ball. Right. And then, OK, I can use Burks or a lot of sharp people were playing Baker and Tannehill and passing game options in that and people are playing that Raiders like passing game Waller and whether you like Ruggs or Aguilar doesn't really matter Mims and Crowder and all that kind of stuff you know everybody just took what they thought were layups right with Ferkser and Montgomery and the Rams receivers you know the Rams receivers were underpriced so everybody's just playing all these guys who are like locks for 10 to 15 points and they, they pretty much were but they didn't embrace any sort of uncertainty uh, in tournaments, and those are the people that got rewarded—the ones who embraced the uncertainty this week. And I, I actually went went out, and I, I went the opposite way on embracing uncertainty by embracing certainty that people didn't want to. Yeah. And to me, to me, that was Frank Gore. People are paying down at running back. Okay, mm-hmm. they're paying down over there. They're playing. You know, they're paying up. They're paying down. They're going all the way down to Montgomery or or. Gaskin or, or, or Booker. And I'm like, dude, Adam Gase runs the ball like way too often. Uh, LaMichael P Ryan isn't there. Uh, Frank Gore, like the week before got like 80% of the snaps and also got like four or five targets. The Raiders are not a good defense. The jets could actually be competitive in this game. And, and if I, if I could pay down for Gore, that means I could pay up for Waller. So, and that's correlative in the same game. So I look at Frank Gore's rushing prop and it's 62 and I've never seen Frank Gore with a rushing prop <laughs> that high. He Not in 15 years. Right. Whatever. And he projects well in like every fucking model I see. And the first thing that I, I, even if you watch the Leone and, and Dink and whatever, like Frank, I would Frank Gore is like, you don't play Frank. Like that's because of that bias of like, how do you play the 37 year old running back for the jets? And it's like, I take a look at, I'm, I'm going through ownership. I'm like, he projects well everywhere, but no one wants to play him. Like it, like he, proje- and, and it, the general public doesn't want to play him. So like he is not like no casual person's going to plug in Frank Gore into their lineup unless they're a Jets fan. And even then they don't want to even want to play their own. Jets. Then they probably still don't. Play right. <laughs> so I'm looking at that going, everyone's going down to Booker. I'm like, why don't I play Gore instead and play Waller across from him? Now, obviously got unlucky that he got, uh, you know, can cut from the second play of the game, but we saw Ty Johnson come in and Why get a hundred yards rushing and a touchdown. He had 22 points, right? They ran for like 200 and something yards, right? Like they, they just destroyed on the ground. It was right. Crazy. So like in theory, like uh, my, my Frank Gore was, 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 was a good way to go. And he came in at like, I mean, I'm looking here, Frank Gore, Frank Gore was, was the play action was 4%. 
The Game Changer was 2%. Spy, 3%. The Millie, 6%. Like, uh, why Why am I... Like, all the other guys that were 1,000 more expensive were, like, four times as, as owned. Mm-hmm. Like, and then I, I could flip my construction, right? Then I don't have to play Ferkser, right? Then I could play Waller and Adams in the same lineup. Yeah. I could pay up. I could play... I, I could play... Uh, uh, like Watson with Cooks and QT and do that. And with Hilton, right? Like I did those types. I did Rivers Hilton mm-hmm. run back to get, you know, all those types of things. But I mean, Frank Gore was the linchpin of most of those lineups. Like if Frank Gore didn't get hurt and he had Ty Johnson's scoreline, I would have done very well uh, on Sunday. But I didn't, I like, I played enough of Waller, but I had Waller in, in correlative builds. So I'd Waller with Perriman, Waller with Mims, Waller with Gore. Like I just, I didn't want to play Waller as a one-off. It didn't fit in. He didn't necessarily project all that well for his price. So like he typically fit into correlative builds less so. So like I always had a dud in those lineups anyway, but, but to me, the Frank Gore situation is like, there's no uncertainty there. Like actually there, there is no uncertainty. We like Frank Gore is sitting there going, if you if you told me like he's gonna get twenty touches, like no matter the the Jets could be down seventy four points, <laughs> right in the fourth quarter, and he's still he's still getting two yard carries. I mean, like he mm-hmm. it's still gonna happen. So like I am to me I embrace the certainty there when people weren't gonna embrace. Then you go okay, we're gonna play Austin Eckler for seventy one hundred, <laughs> and just assume he's gonna get twenty five touches. And I'm like, dude, there's a guy at forty four hundred that's gonna get twenty. To trust me. Adam Gase is going to give him 20 touches. They're going to run the ball. It doesn't matter what happens, and no one does it. So, like, that that's a situation where almost you, you want to, like, you look, because people look at Gore and go, where's the ceiling? So the uncertainty comes into that fact of, like, I, but I looked at it as a situation of, I don't need Gore to put up 25 points for 4,400. Yeah. All I need is for Gore plus Waller to put up 60. Right. Oh, that's all I like. The reason you're playing that guy is not for a ceiling. It's for your construction leverage. Yeah. Like if if Adams puts up a 40 plus point game and Waller puts up a 40 plus point game, like if Gore has 15 points and no other running and we have Gaskin only getting 15. Right. We only have Dalvin Cook only getting 25 for 20. Like it's a lineup that the outcome, like if Cook puts up a ceiling game. And Edler puts up a ceiling game, and James Robinson put. If all the high price running backs, Derrick Henry goes off for forty points, my lineup loses. It doesn't like it. it the, yes, Gore's not going to put up forty points for me to make that up. That lineup wins in a situation where the high price running backs fail, or at least fail to put up enough points. So I think too many people look at players like Frank Gore, like the boring, like certain plays that they make sense in builds. With, with with the construction difference makes it so that if the position that you're playing that guy in, if all the, let's say all the high price wide receivers fail, well, that means like if you paid down at 5k and got 20 points, like you're good. Like you're, you're, so you don't, you don't look at a 5k wide receiver and go, where's this guy's ceiling? It's like, well, the, the purpose of this lineup is that it wins when high, high price wide receivers fail. When you play the cheap quarterback, your lineup wins more often when the high price quarterbacks fail, not because Baker Mayfield puts up 35 points. So when people refuse to, to 
to roster guys like Mayfield and Carr or play guys like Hunter Renfro. They go, what's the, what's his ceiling? It's like, no, you're playing him because he's 4,000. And if, if the high price wide receivers fail, you don't, you do, you don't need 20 points from him. Because you're people forget. And I think we all do uh, uh, from, from time to time, like in this exact conversation, it's because you're not trying to score the most points. Right. Right. Which sounds, which sounds, which, you know, people are always like, what, what, what are you talking about? Of course I'm trying to score the most points. The person at the top of the tournament scored the most points. Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm trying to beat my opponents. Right. Which, which doesn't always mean getting the most, you know, raw point points. projection or the raw points high, you know, that's not what I'm trying to do. Right. And that's what the, the, the type of thing, type of thing with Frank Gore is also like if Frank Gore is having, is having a good game, like you said, it sets up Waller or it sets up, you know, whatever rugs, Aguilar, whatever. And it busts Devonte Booker. Right. So you're getting, you're getting a Frank, you know, Frank Gore happens to grind out the clock with his 20 carries and fall into the end zone once and gets his 18 points. You're elated. You know, that's not a ceiling. He didn't score 30 points. It's not a ceiling. But you're elated at that for 4,400. He's probably, you know, probably not getting bludgeoned by the other running backs. And if they fail, you're you're getting Devonte Adams. You're getting Darren Waller. You're getting and and then the correlation aspect with Waller. You know, it's this because it, you're playing the game. You're not playing the the player. I, I don't care about the player. People, yeah. how are you yeah. rostering Frank Gore? Who gives a shit? He's 4,400. Yeah. He's projected for this, this meet. Like I'm just looking at projections. And he's going to be four percent owned. I'm looking at all these guys in the same range that are going to be thirty plus percent owned, and no one wants to play old man Gore. And I'm like, yeah. I see lineups. It's not just because this. This comes back to to, to end it because I know uh, you got to get out of here and do some more content because there seems to be football on every goddamn day. Uh, that that uh, it's it's lineups, not players. Mm-hmm. People look at Frank Gore and go, "How do I play Frank Gore?" I said, "Well, build the lineup with Frank Gore." And you go, well, if you play Waller, if you if you put everything together, you go, well, let me take a look at my median projection and let me take a look at my ownership and go, wow, that you could actually make a a highly projected lineup that has leverage and correlation with Frank Gore in it. And then you have to get out of your mind that you're playing Frank Gore. You, it, who cares? It's just a name on a spreadsheet. It just if that if that's what it is, that's that that is what it is. So it's not it's not about the players, it's about the lineups. Yep. And I think this, that's just, I felt, I felt so, you know, good about this week, not like how the results would turn out, but just in terms of, um, it was one of, it was just one of those weeks that I thought was just the perfect picture of both, like what you said too, right? Like, so Frank Gore is the same premise, just the opposite of embracing uncertainty, right? It's It's the exact same concept. You know, when everyone thinks something is uncertain, that's when we can pounce when everyone when everyone thinks something that is certain is uncertain that that's also that's also when we can pounce right people think so, frank gore's certainty is he only gets 10 points and that's it right right yeah, so it's like i'm certain he only gets 10 points like who says yeah, that but he, this, yeah what if he scores a touchdown he's he is certainly going to score more than more, more than 10 points like it's just it's just a, it, it's just true so this week was was um such a great i, I really think people should kind of go back this was a really good week, I think, to looking at tournaments. Like set aside the results, like whether you won or what the exact lineups were, you know, that one separate the plays from it. I think it was a really good like I'm once we get through these these damn Monday and Tuesday games, I'm gonna go back through and kind of look at some of some of this slate because I thought it was a really, really good slate to kind of analyze from a tournament perspective. And it all revolved around everything we talked about today with like certainty versus uncertainty and uh 
and 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 all of that. So um, that's kind of like you know my 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 last note. I thought this slate was 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 a really good one to kind of think about for for tournaments. Well, you could uh, thumbs up if you're on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. I'm, we're trying to beat on my channel. Trying to beat Pete Overzet. We're we're catching up, but he's still getting some. We're 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 150 behind. All so right. if you go go sign Only up for one. YouTube under a second email. And, 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 and subscribe also. Hit the notification bell. Okay. Do stuff like that. Uh, you know, rate and review on iTunes. And uh, and 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 Eric, uh, you can follow him, Eric Bimefor, me at Blender HD. It's a shorter show. If you'd, a lot of people like the longer shows. They like they like the fact that it's you know nearly a two hour long show. So this is going to be one of the shorter shows. But uh, you know, if if hey, there may be plenty of silent majority out there that are like they look at a, you know one hour fifty minutes and go ugh. But I mean, most most of the feedback has been that, like, dude, if you if you guys are if you want to talk for three hours, it's a it's a podcast, so you could pause at any time. And most of the stuff that we talk about is kind of evergreen, as it is that you don't necessarily have to realize what the past slate was. So uh, feel free to send in your questions questions at theoryofdfs.com and check out the fifteen hour audio DFS masterclass, the theory of daily fantasy sports. If you're if you're more interested in the deep dive into all of these concepts, theoryofdfs.com. So for, for Eric Bimefor, I'm Jordan Cooper, and that has been another episode of the Theory of DFS podcast.